morning, church. How y'all feeling this morning? Man, for some reason, I thought I had left all the bipolar weather in Texas, but I guess it followed me here. It was freezing this morning, but praise God, because it's going to get good later on in the day, so let's just be thankful for that. Um, I just want to open us up with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right into what God has in store for us today. Dear Heavenly Father, first and foremost, we love you so much. God, and I pray, um, Lord, that as we dive into your word today, Lord Jesus, as we seek your face, um, Lord, I pray that not only are we impacted by it and changed by it, Lord, Lord, but that we be like Paul and Silas, Lord Jesus, who, um, as they went into Thessalonica and they reasoned with the Greeks and the rabbis there, Father, uh, may we be accused of turning the world upside down as they were. Um, God, thank you for the gospel that you give us to preach. Thank you for your word, God, that you give us to um, sustain us and give us life. And I pray, Lord, that we uh, drink deeply this morning from the well that never runs dry. We ask all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit unto the eternal Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, I must say, uh, as a Texas boy that never thought I'd ever leave Texas, and yes, I'm bringing up Texas in the sermon early, uh, only to say that I didn't think I was going to love it out here this much. And so... My wife and I feel so welcome here, and we're falling in love with this church even more than we thought we possibly could, so thank y'all so much uh, for that. Just blessed to be here. Um, and so uh, as we just dive into God's word today, I'd just like to touch on real quick last week as Spence uh, preached about, Pastor Spence preached about um, God having a legacy that he continues through us, the story of God as it continues through his people. God's plan is so much bigger than us as, as mere individuals, but through God's faithfulness throughout the ages, we're allowed to experience a legacy of faithfulness um, within the body of Christ, and we get to see a part of that here at Mercy Church. Um, while this church isn't a perfect church, we are a very fruit-bearing church, um, and it's so cool to be a part of. Uh, and it all started because a specific group of people felt called here to this place. Um, so beautiful. A specific group of people are called here to this place. And then time, through, time and time again, we are called throughout our walks with Jesus to be challenged in ways that are going to prove that we believe that God is who he says he is. And let's just face it. Um, lasting legacies are not easy to build. Uh, ones that are guaranteed to remain are those that are based on eternal principles, uh, not temporary things. The, a gospel-centered legacy that is built over um, extended periods of time is made up of years' worth of prayer and, and thousands of hours' worth of gospel-centered conversations and consistent acts of obedience, countless opportunities at repentance, and years' worth of serving, which, by the way, praise God, we had over 200 people sign up uh, to serve and take their next step with Jesus last week. Yeah, amen to that. Um, and then on top of that, um, we, throughout this legacy that we're building here upon the kingdom of God, uh, we get to rejoice at every opportunity that we get to see God showing up in other people's lives, even whenever we're doing more celebrated for our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, more than we might be celebrating in our own lives. And it can be tough sometimes 
to celebrate with others. Like, I don't know if your favorite basketball team, college basketball team in North Carolina goes to the Mighty Dance in March 51 times, right? And uh, have a record holding 130 victories, which is pretty impressive. Um, alongside another record holding 21 Final Four appearances with 12 championships, but only winning half of those has got to be kind of tough. <laughs> um, impressive, but tough. And the last one happened in 2017, which really wasn't that long ago, but COVID makes it seem like it was much longer ago than what it actually was. But um, I hope it's not too soon to be roasting North Carolina. Anyway, <laughs> but that brings me <laughs> to the text uh, that I'm convinced that as believers that we sometimes get caught up in seeing or walk with Christ as a snapshot in a moment when it might not feel that well, when it's really a rolling film. Moses consistently gets caught up in the magnitude of his assignment, but ultimately has to come to the point where the rubber meets the road, and he has to prove that he believes that God is who he says that he is. And he's called to carry that out through the way that he takes his next steps. He must prove through his obedience and through his faithfulness, and with a hint of inspectancy, that so much so that even whenever he sees the power of God take place at the end of this text that we're going to read today, it's merely just to be an encouragement for him to keep going because in this part of the narrative that we're about to read today, it's only the beginning of the climax of the story. In the text, we see that Moses is called yet again by God to go and to speak to Pharaoh. And, and not only does God give Moses clear instructions to go and tell Pharaoh to release the Israelites from slavery, and, and, and he gives them a why to these instructions so that the people may know that he is God. God tells Moses what the initial results are going to be, that Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened and that he's going to say no. <laughs> Even though that plays right into God's plan, it's still not, very, it's not a very encouraging situation to be in because Moses is going to speak to arguably the most powerful monarch of the age, risking his life in safety just to hear a big fat No. Multiple times, mind you. Um, and, and so saints, some of us are sitting in this room right now waiting on the cusp of obedience, faithfulness, and lacking in expectancy. But God has called us to be faithful even in the little areas of our lives. I can't promise you a lot of things, but I can promise you this, that you won't miss what God has for you if you consistently walk in faithfulness. And sometimes in the middle of your walk, it won't look like or feel like we're where we're supposed to be. <laughs> But in our finite range of vision, that's not where we, um, that's where we get to depend on God so much that we begin to accomplish things that are, that are impossible, not because of our abilities, but because we've stepped into a place where we're completely dependent upon God. And in that place, church, you will find a peace that goes beyond our comprehension. And if we abide in the most high God, and just like in our text, when Moses is called out by God to fulfill his assignment so that everyone may know that Moses' messenger is Yahweh. And in turn, Pharaoh calls out to Moses to prove that he is, in fact, a messenger of God by performing miracles. We are called to prove that we believe in the assignment that is placed on our lives with how we respond, with faithfulness, obedience, and expectancy, so that God's name might be known by those who we encounter. And without further ado, the most important thing that I'll say while I'm up here is God's word. We're going to start in um, Exodus chapter 6, and uh, at the very end in verse 28, and we're going to run down into chapter 7. And it says that on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. 
Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? Speaking to my first point, church, is that our limited sight will keep us from obedience. Here we get to see that God gives Moses the command, and even whenever he starts his sentence, he gives us the why, the command, and why obedience is necessary. Because he is the Lord. On reputation alone, he is deserving of our honor and glory and praise. We should be praying constantly for the Lord to give us willing hearts that submit to his will, because this isn't the first time that Moses is offered an objection of this nature. He, he wrestles with this all throughout the entire book of Exodus. Most of our struggles um, aren't a one-and-done situation as much as we would like and be comfortable in those spaces. Um, we see all throughout Scripture the heroes of the faith are struggling their entire lives to fulfill God's calling on their life. This is a normal occurrence. One of the things that stood out to me in this text was how Moses phrases his insecurities, his insecurities this time. He, he refers to himself as having uncircumcised lips. Why would this be significant if, if circumcision is a covenant that belongs to the Jews, and yet the topic at hand is about going to Pharaoh, who is not of the Jewish faith, or, or even a convert of the faith, as we're going to see, and therefore this has nothing to do with the conversation um, or the covenant that God made with his people. And, and essentially it's another way for Moses to articulate in saying that he's unskilled or he's unprepared to do what God called him to do. And the irony being that God is the one who called him and asked him to do it. So my question would be, who are we to consider disobedience when God calls us? Moses felt discouraged because this is, his, this is not his first attempt uh, to talk to Pharaoh. The first time he went, he knew it was doomed to fail, but it was by God's providence. But in that moment, I think that we're able to glean that the perceived failure was supposed to point to the overall picture of God's goodness. Our limited sight will keep us from obedience, which is why we see Moses push back and hesitate instead of walking forward in obedience until the next part of the text. Matthew 4.19 says, uh, and, and he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So here we see Jesus telling his disciples to come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so if anybody in this room has ever gone fishing before or even knows a person who's fished, which should pretty much cover everybody, um, or if you... Um, uh, or or um, you, you'll know that the reason why they call it fishing and not catching or the reason why they call it hunting and not killing <laughs> is because most of the time whenever you participate, we don't get as much as we usually want. And if you do, either you're lying about it or nobody likes you. <laughs> but what we see here is that if it's a life or death situation when it comes to being a fisherman of men, that if we really saw it as a life or death situation, as if we were fishing or hunting to feed our families, we would, make, we would wait in a holy amount of time until we caught something or until we killed something. Because if we're committed to God who was more concerned, if we were committed to a God who was more concerned with our results and insecurities more than his glory, then honestly, he wouldn't ask us to do anything ever. God calls us to be obedient and to walk in that obedience. And our job is not to be concerned with the results. We live in a culture that is hard-pressed to endure uh, hard-pressed to endure extended periods of time for the sake of obedience. And so even though Moses does offer pushback yet again, we see him walk in obedience due to his faith in the one that called him. Which brings us into chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, in Moses, the Lord said to Moses, 
See that I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply signs and wonders in the lands of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by a great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against, against Egypt and bring the people out of Israel from among them. We prove that we believe in God by our faithfulness. Here is an important construct in biblical literature that the nature of the relationship between God and, the, and, the, and, and, and his prophets, the recipient of God's messages. Understanding the generalities of this relationship will help us better understand the text and what God is trying to say here. So first and foremost, he's saying that Moses is going to be like God, but he's not literally referring to Moses as God. He only does that because throughout the entirety of Scripture, God is the primary messenger, and God would usually elect a specific individual to receive the message with the intention of passing it on. This was a huge deal because if a prophet ever said anything that was contradictory to God's character or anything that, con that contradicted his previously stated word, or if they made a prediction about the future and it didn't come to pass, well, then it was the death penalty. <laughs> they were pretty serious about prophets in the Old Testament. And, and that was only if they got it wrong even one time. So shout out to the people whose bracket got destroyed before the Sweet 16 and you just swore, this is our year, but it wasn't. Um, as a lifelong Cowboys fan, I feel your pain. But to think that most of the time when prophets had a message that God sent down to the people, nobody liked it. Because <laughs> God's word usually contradicts our nature. And prophets were threatened, they were killed, and they were overall just treated bad and persecuted. The word, the phrase, don't shoot the messenger comes to mind when I think about the relationship between the prophets and the people. But it took an extraordinary amount of dedication and faith to not only trust the ultimate messenger, God, who spoke the message through his vessels, and the prophets, and, that, um, and even the faith to receive what God had to say. Their callings were usually contradictory, again, to our human nature. And just so y'all know, the following story I'm about to tell is not parenting advice by any means. You just, you run your house how you want to. But this was my reality growing up. Um... My mom had two rules growing up when we were in school, when it came to fights in school. And some of y'all probably know exactly what I'm about to say. Rule number one is, you better not start no fights. And rule number two is, if you happen to be a part of a fight, and you're there, and it's going down, uh, you better not lose, otherwise you're going to get beat up twice. <laughs> Once at school, and one more time, you get home. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't the rule. <laughs> the second rule was, don't let anybody pick on your little brother. That was the second rule. And so uh, she, wanted every, she wanted the world to know how tight we were, how tight-knit we were. And I still remember when I was in second grade, and uh, I didn't start a fight, but I remember being a part of one. And my older brother jumped in, and he saved me at the last minute to keep me from getting beat up. And, and my mom's words stood so true and it passed down that I remember the first time when my little brother came up to me, and he cried, and he pointed, and he looked, and I saw some guy laughing at him. And I went, well, you're big, and you're scary but I'm infinitely more scared of my mom than I am of you. So, um, unfortunately, I had to go over there and lay hands on him in the name of Jesus. 
because I didn't want to face the consequences of not passing down that rule, of not, not articulating the command that had give, been given from my mom from generation down to generation. And so I decided in that moment to choose obedience out of respect for the messenger. But doesn't this sound familiar, church? As we take the gospel to a broken world that celebrates the opposite of biblical truth, we should be able to relate to this in some way because most people we encounter aren't going to listen. The pathway to righteousness is narrow, and this world is going to get a heck of a lot worse before it gets better. But whenever we focus on results, that's whenever people start to get in trouble, just like Moses, instead of allowing the center of his focus to be on the source of the messenger who gave him the command, he allowed himself to get distracted by the recipient of the message and his own lack of ability. And we're guilty of this as well. (laughs) And focusing more on what people think or being fearful and not wanting to pass down the message that we've been commanded to pass down. What I don't want us to do is start feeling guilty or stressed out or or feeling like we're just completely failing at this area, whether it be in our families or at work or anywhere in between, because our God is so gracious that he gives us room to assess our hearts. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, he allows us to find the areas in our hearts where we don't believe his word and, and, and where it's not being proven in our actions. And he allows us to submit those areas to our perfect, loving father who judges justly. I still remember back when I worked in juvenile probation a little bit, and um, I remember getting picked on just for praying for my food before we ate. And I wasn't doing anything extravagant, right? I wasn't like praying in tongues, or I wasn't going, oh, Lord, of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. I was just simply bowing my head and thanking God for the food. And, and maybe it had something to do with me just thanking God and they didn't like it. Maybe it had something to do because I was the only one praying and it was offensive. Or maybe it had something to do with them thinking that I was praying for prison food and they thought that was pointless because it was going to be disgusting either way. I don't know. But I remember getting roasted by my coworkers for doing so. So now as a pastor, I completely understand, right? And nobody's asking you to run headfirst into your job, acting in a way that's offensive or ineffective because let's be honest, the gospel's offensive enough on its own. You don't have to add to that part. You're just called to be faithful and obedient. But what you can do is ask God to reveal to you different areas in your, in, in your life and in your heart where you can be faithful. How about opportunities to care for people when others won't? What about um, to love on people in a way that the world wouldn't expect, which goes beyond just offering money, but actually getting our hands and feet dirty and serving people that don't know Jesus? What if we offer to serve even whenever we hold positions of leadership and authority in our workplaces or within our families? What if we walk in humility when God gives us favor and we thank him for every moment of provision and every victory that he allows us to witness? We should be a people that chooses to glorify God with our words and our actions from the platforms that God gives us. Because even if it looks like a dark moment, we should be walking with this expectation that God is going to show up. Which brings me to the next verse in verse six in chapter seven. This says that as Moses and Aaron walk in that faith and obedience, it says Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old. And Aaron was 83 years old. It's never too late to start when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, sorry, 
Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers. And they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his own staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, and still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Last but not least, church, we prove we believe in God by our expectancy. Here I would like to point out that these magicians were able to mimic God's miracle. Yes, that is true. But that should come as no surprise to us, because if we're being honest with ourselves, we allow things to mimic God in our hearts all the time. <laughs> this isn't explicitly mentioned in the text, but, but knowing that the snakes don't necessarily eat fast, right, and, and, and considering what Moses had said to God whenever he called him in the first place, um, I, I can just imagine at this moment when the other staffs were being transformed, I can see Mo- Moses like, oh, man, we, we made snakes and so did they. But, but God quickly shows that what they produced might as well have been an up-close magician at a birthday party, right? Because Aaron's staff steps in and, and it eats the other staffs. And this is where God steps in and establishes dominance. Seeing God show up how he does right here in the text is how, um, is how we need to expect and believe that he'll show up in our lives every single time. Like, we should walk into situations and conversations and in our places of work and, and lead our families as if we're expecting God to show up in these areas. When we believe that God is capable and we expect him to show up in the way that he does here, you'll begin to speak more boldly. You'll begin to grow in your desire to be obedient. Your faith will become unwavering regardless of what the situation looks like. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 11, or chapter 12, verse 11 to 12, it says that whenever they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Like we should be able to walk into places where our voices are not heard very loudly or where our lights... Um, don't really have an opportunity to shine. Like we should be walking in there with boldness and expectation that God is going to show up the same way he did for Moses and Aaron here in this text. And if we walk in that consistently leading up to these situations, you'll be praising God up until the moment when the world looks right at you and says, I hear what you're saying. I see how you're living your life. And, and, and you know what? And they might even be like Pharaoh and say, I can even see the miracle right in front of my eyes. But how can I know that your God is the true God? Prove it. And you can answer with the utmost confidence. You've seen my life up close. You know how jacked up I am. The fact that I'm still standing here means that God already did prove it. And if you're practicing and walking with Jesus consistently, you'll have no problem looking at coworker, your family member, that person that you've been praying for for years. (laughs) that sin in your life that you feel like you'll never overcome, that insecurity that you've allowed to keep you on the bench for so long and not walking in obedience or faithfulness. And you'll be able to look at those situations that God calls you to and be able to say, I'm only able to prove it because Jesus already did. (laughs) And as the worship team makes their way up here, I think it's important for us to know that as we're in these situations, We should be able to look at these and tell people that, yeah, 
I was dead in my sin. And if the wages of sin is death, then, and we only have one life to wager. <laughs> but God being so rich in his mercy saw every last one of us in this plight. But God would prove his love for us by intervening. He sent his only begotten son down to live a life that we couldn't live so that whenever we have to face death, we have an advocate that, that we now belong to that tells us not only that we belong to him, but he proves it through his everlasting love. We can experience through scripture watching God kill his only begotten son for things that we did with a smile on our face. Because we thought it felt good at the time. But only by his grace and mercy three days later did he prove that he had power over death by walking out of that tomb and into eternity and offering us a place with him that if we would only believe that he is who he says he is and that he did all that he says that he accomplished in his word, that through his life we can make known the gift to others by how we prove it. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are so wonderful. God, and I thank you for showing us the ultimate form of love. Lord God Almighty, we are in need of your grace and your mercy. Father God, and I ask that you give us favor, Lord, as we begin to step into these places, Lord, uh, <laughs> into our work where we've already made some jokes, God, that, that don't sound like how you would want us to talk. And we've already acted in ways, Lord, that don't glorify your name, Lord, but I pray that you offer us redemption in those places. God, even if we've never even said a prayer for your food around our, or around our coworkers, God, I pray that you, um, Lord, give us favor in the areas to be able to proclaim your name. And then even if we've already made mistakes with our families and our kids are watching, Lord Jesus, let your redemption rule and reign supreme there. Father God, I pray that you allow us to go forth from this place and receiving your word and what you have in store for us. God, and please allow us to prove that we believe that you are who you say you are. As we fulfill the assignments you called on our lives, God, and ultimately allowing us to bring glory to your name. We ask all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. Unto the eternal Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.